Hello and welcome to From Maiden to Mother, a space to dive deeper into topics related to the journey from maidenhood through motherhood and beyond. My name is Kelsey, I am your host, and in this space we are highlighting stories from the Maiden to Mother community that are sure to inspire. Today we are talking to Jess, also known as Secondary Infertility Mama. I would like to add a trigger warning. In this episode, we will be talking about infertility and pregnancy loss. Jessica is 31 years old, a wife, teacher, and mom to a three-year-old son. She is currently battling secondary infertility for almost two years and has been with a fertility clinic for one year. She's tried medicated cycles with letrozole and gonal F without success. She has ovulatory PCOS and is a poor responder to medication. Hi, we are here with Jessica. Hello. It is so nice to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks. I would love for you to just tell me a little bit about your situation, where you're at in your journey right now. So I am almost at two years actively trying to, uh, trying to conceive. So December is my two year anniversary. Um, and it's anovulatory PCOS is what I'm struggling with. Um, and that is secondary infertility Ah. since I already have, um, a child and it wasn't an issue beforehand, but now it is. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspective on secondary infertility. That is um, something that I feel like isn't talked about as much. No, I don't think that there's a lot of creators on TikTok. Maybe I just haven't found them, but I feel like there's a handful of us um, and we just don't, you know, I don't know. Not that we don't have a big enough voice, but I just think that there's a lot of us in the space. I wonder why there's a hesitation to share because I I did find you on TikTok. I'm pretty active on the TikTok TTC pages. And I feel like whenever I do come across secondary infertility stories, it's almost like that's secondary to their story too. Do you ever notice that? Yeah, I, I really do. And I don't know, sometimes I feel like I don't belong in the TTC community because I have a child earthside and um, I don't know, it's, it's sometimes really lonely because our struggles are all very different, but it, it shouldn't be like an us versus them, which sometimes I feel, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're all in this, right? <laughs> we all have different perspectives, different all our journeys are all very unique. Mm-hmm. We do almost kind of subcategorize ourselves even within the TTC community. You know, there's people doing IVF, people doing medicated cycles, PCOS, secondary infertility. Right. I feel like it's like, okay, who has it worse off? Who's been trying the longest with the most losses and don't have any living children? You know, that's the top you know, people who we should give our support to. Mm-hmm. And I very much believe in, we don't rank grief. It is not a competition. Let's just support everyone. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that too, because it's all hard. Even when you want to be pregnant for one month and it doesn't happen, that's hard. 
Yeah, absolutely. Do you find people make comments that make you feel insecure about your secondary infertility or do you find that's more like internalized? I think I have received comments of at least you have a child. Um, I find those are more of my videos that have gotten blown up on Mm -hmm. TikTok. Um, My smaller everyday followers are very amazing and they never say that. Um, However, once I found out there was um, forums on Reddit, I did search my username and there was one comment on one post that said that, oh yeah, her page is all dedicated to trying to conceive when she already has a child I'm sure that child is emotionally um abused and that really hurt yeah that's cruel because just because I'm going through something hard does not mean that I'm neglecting my child at home no not at all if anything you know I see it as a form of protecting your child kind of separating what you're going through now and your journey with them and that's it right and I am very cognizant and very protective of my son like he is no longer on my TikTok at all like I keep his privacy um he doesn't need to know what's going on he's three understand it no and people can be so judgmental when they've never been in that position. I have a a preteen stepdaughter Mm -hmm. and people on the reddits are very critical of the fact that I don't show her talk about her and they they accuse me of not loving her as much but in fact I love her so much that I keep her away from all that. (laughs) Yes and that's it like they deserve privacy they deserve to not be in this I want a very small scope that I share on TikTok and that's it I don't want to expand it and some people get upset about that I don't know why they feel entitled to know more about my life than I want to share well that's what it is it's a sense of entitlement sometimes from the community it's a beautiful thing to be open and to help connect and make people not feel alone but then there's uh, people develop expectations from us as content creators too yeah exactly Now, I have a question. Did you have a PCOS diagnosis before you conceived your son? No, I didn't, but it was suspected. Oh, okay. So as a teenager, I had horrible periods. Um, My cycles were very long, irregular. I didn't understand um, how people knew when their periods were coming. Like that Mm -hmm. concept to me, I actually didn't get because Mm -hmm. that was not my experience. So as a teenager, I finally had to go in for blood work, ultrasound, and they're like, everything's normal. And they're like, just here, go on birth control. It'll help with the pain. Oh no. And so I was on birth control from 16 until, um, until I tried to conceive with my son, got off birth control, and he was actually my very first cycle off of birth control. Wow. So I I was like, oh gosh, I must be so fertile. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just like, it's so funny looking back being like, no, actually it's because the withdrawal of all those hormones actually let me ovulate. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, So after my first loss that I had, I finally got my diagnosis for PCOS. 
because after my DNC, I never got a period. So it was over a hundred days. And I finally went back to the OB and they're like, yep, you have PCOS. Oh, you know what? That's when I, that's when I hopped on your journey. You were in, yeah, you were in your hundred days since. And I remember when you got your first period. I know that's such a funny thing to say. It's because it was such a big deal. Cause I had, it was my first progesterone challenge that I did. Yeah. We were in it together. I was waiting for my period to come back after being on the Depo Provera injection. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so funny. It was like I'm tripped on memory lane there for a minute. <laughs> like, and it's so funny. Cause like I have it all, you know, documented so I can go back and be like, when was that? <laughs> that was, that was like, a long oh, time ago. Years ago now. Yeah. yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. So yeah, that was a blighted ovum Mm. was my first loss. Um, That was a journey in itself. And that's when my page kind of blew up because following the diagnosis of a blighted ovum is very long, very emotional, awful. And people were very invested and supportive. And then I'm just like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing now. (laughs) We're in this together. (laughs) I'm sharing and creating a community and feeling a sense of belonging and I've been just here ever since (laughs) yes do you find the community helped you get through that whole blighted ovum dnc experience absolutely like I learned more about recovery and what to expect from a dnc through tiktok than I did my own doctors Mm -hmm. which is horrible yeah um but also the amount of people that like privately messaged and I had conversations with I was better prepared um Mm. going into it and what to expect and that made a huge difference especially right in the middle of COVID Mm -hmm. so being able to mentally prepare for something like that is one thing that I feel like doctors can't really provide no because my doctor said you're gonna have a heavy period when giving me misoprostol and then it didn't work and I'm in the ER and they're like you need surgery anyways I'm like super this is not what I expected oh no what was that process like you're in Ontario right yeah when you go to an emergency room like is that a is that a helpful experience for you what's it like out there so I've gone, so that time, so after I took misoprostol to induce um, a miscarriage at home and I'd been bleeding for too long and too heavy that I was starting to black out. So we called an ambulance Mm -hmm. and I did go to the ER and I've never had such amazing doctors and nurses in my life. Like, I can't believe I have a positive experience from this. So they gave me a private room in the ER. So I wasn't just in a bed with curtains. So I had a private room with my own bathroom because I was still passing clots Mm -hmm. and I needed to be on the toilet every 20 to 30 minutes. And they just, they're like, you know, hang out here, have your room. We're here for you. Here's water. Um, we're going to take some blood samples, see where you are. If you need a transfusion, if you need IV, call us if you need us. And they just gave me my space and they said, let us know. And then they finally discharged me when the bleeding finally slowed down and I was okay. And they made sure that they asked me, do you want to go to the L and D floor? And I said, absolutely not. 
And they're like, okay, we'll keep you down here and we'll keep you comfortable. You can stay here as long as you like. And it was so good. Like if I hadn't been in a private room though, I think it would have been a very different experience. Yeah. Um, really make a huge difference. It, it made a huge difference. Cause even coming in, in the stretcher, I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom right now. And they were able to get me into a bathroom and I'm like, someone needs to like, I, this is pretty graphic, but I'm like, someone needs to go in because like, you're just bleeding everywhere. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, someone needs to go and clean it up. So that's why they like, were able to give me my room with my own bathroom. Cause they're like, don't worry, we'll come in and we'll take care of it. That shouldn't be a stress on your mind. I'm like, thank you. Cause it is, cause I'm going through a loss and I'm in, I feel like I'm inconveniencing the custodial staff <laughs> in a hospital. That just shows, you know, the, the empathy of a mother. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh God, I'm inconveniencing so many people. And they're like, you're bleeding profusely. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, it's like, if we could make a, a wish list of, you know, as the standard of care when you're going through a loss, they checked a lot of boxes. They really did. And surprisingly, um, because I could have gone to the LND for, and I said no. And without warning, that can be very traumatic. Well, that's it. And then even my midwife team, they said a lot of people do choose to go there because the nurse team up there is really trained and oh. well versed in loss. So they're like, some people do choose to go there, but hearing women in active labor can be very hard. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Yeah. Thank you. How did you heal from that mentally, emotionally, like, especially with having another child at home? So after that, you know, going to the doctor the next day and finding out that, you know, the miscarriage wasn't complete and I still had to have surgery. It was really hard. It was not only... Like I had to be dropped off at the hospital to have my DNC alone because of COVID. Um, And I chose not to stay overnight because I had a baby at home. So I said, no, the minimum I'm allowed to stay after my surgery, I need to go home because I'm still breastfeeding. I don't want to leave my baby overnight, like putting my baby before my needs a thousand percent. And I just, I just let myself be sad. I was, it, crushed me um that first loss and I was in active therapy I took a leave of absence from work um I really did the work to make sure that I could be a good mom still because I knew it was easy I could just lay in bed and be in my sadness but I'm like I can't I have another human to depend on me right now And I had to do everything in my power to not just shove it aside, but to work through it. And I don't know, it was really difficult. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine how when you love being a mom too, how that can kind of pull you out of moments of darkness. Yeah, it really forced me to like go outside. Yeah. (laughs) get dressed in the morning and all things I probably wouldn't have done. Um, Yeah, it really, you know, having my son around and him bringing me joy really did help me through it. How, can I ask how 
loss has been on your partner? Very difficult. Um, More difficult than I knew. Um, He likes to he likes to keep things in. This isn't a secret with his friends, family, everyone knows that he likes to keep things bottled up and very much so. The first one hit us really hard Mm -hmm. um, and he felt very helpless with me being in the hospital by myself and in the ER by myself. And only just recently, you know, that was a year and a half ago now, He's sharing with me. He's like, I really thought I was going to lose you when you're bleeding out in our bathroom and I have to call an ambulance. And he's like, I just, I didn't like, my mind was racing. I'm like, you know, we have um, an 18 month at home. How am I supposed to do this by myself? And I, I had no idea that that's how he felt. And I was very open with how I felt but I think he was just trying to be so strong for me all that time that he didn't reciprocate and didn't share his side because he didn't want to bring me down even more. And, you know, our second loss hit him much harder than me. And, you know, we're working through it. (laughs) It's, it's such an emotional roller coaster and our communication is just getting so much better. Mm-hmm. I feel like the longer we're getting through this, the harder it is. It's not getting any easier. And I don't know, but I feel like we're finding better strategies to support each other. Yes. So at least that's a positive. Oh, that is. I, I posted on Twitter once just kind of expressing my curiosity about whether or not infertility had an impact on divorce rates and someone replied and with a a study or a survey or I don't know what it was but uh, they had found that it was the opposite that infertility brought couples closer together oh my gosh I'm like crying (laughs) and I can and as soon as she said that to me I was like you know what I can see that because yes it is some of the hardest heartbreak ever but to love each other through that really it does have a a strengthening aspect too well absolutely like you know getting the call that your beta has dropped or you know reading the ultrasound report saying that you know it's a blighted ovum and you know like it's stuck in my brain forever like findings are consistent with pregnancy loss Mm-hmm. and my husband just holding me while I sob like you never feel closer than in nope. then in those really dark moments and it does bring you closer together but I, I can definitely see how it can pull you apart mm-hmm. if you're not you know actively you know communicating and sharing how you're feeling about what's going on I definitely think you're right. I think communication is key and it honest communication, not just, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that, that's easy to do, but that's not, that's not real communication. <laughs> it's not. And I remember I even made a video about this last, um, last school year. Cause I just remember I was at school when I recorded it, mm-hmm. that my husband messaged me saying he was having a really hard day because his coworker was talking about his pregnant wife. Uh, and he's like, I'm really struggling today. And this is why. 
he never did that before. I'm like, I'm so glad you shared that with me. And then you can support your partner better. Cause if I don't know, how am I supposed to, you know, help and be there? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I'm just an open book and he follows me on TikTok, And so he knows my every thought with <laughs> So I'm just word vomit all the time about my feelings. Um, but I'm like, no, you, I don't need word vomit from you, but I need you to share how you're feeling too. I'm so glad he shared that. Cause you know, we often don't think of our partners as going through those kinds of things. I really didn't either. Cause I'm like, he puts on such a brave face. Like I know what bothers him, but him to actually message me that day saying, I'm really struggling. I'm like, this is huge. We really forget about the other partner sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear about how fertility treatment and loss affects your work. Cause I know you work in the school system. Yes. I'm a teacher. Not so a lot of flexibility there. Oh God, there's nothing. So in the past two school years, um, so I had a miscarriage that I needed surgery and I had to take time off of work for that. However, I was back to work within a week after my surgery. So didn't give myself time to really grieve at home. And that's why that fall, the next school year, I did go on a leave of absence for my mental health because I knew I was drowning and I couldn't do my job properly. And I'm like, you know what? My family and my mental health is way more important than my job. Mm -hmm. So I really had to put on the back burner and I'm very fortunate my job in my position that um, I was able to do that for a significant amount of time. It was about six months, I believe. And then I gradually came back. Um, And then this year I shared right away with my administrators, hey, I'm in fertility treatments. When you see a lot of absences randomly, it's because I am going to appointments and, you know, my clinic is an hour away. I have to take time off, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, no problem. And my one admin, I won't forget what, um, what they said. Um, They said, I believe in, you know, supporting our own and being there, whatever you need. I got you and I'm brand new at this school right and they even said they're like I haven't known you for long but I trust that you wouldn't like take advantage of absences blah 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 like it's not his job to follow along anyways that's you know HR but he's just like I'm here for you let me know if there's anything I can do to help Oh, it's so nice to know that there's people looking out for you. Oh my gosh. Right. And even like my administrator last year, she was my favorite and I was so sad to leave. And she also left the school. So I'm like, okay, I'm not as sad. (laughs) When I shared that I was pregnant with my chemical pregnancy, I was like, I'm going to let you know right away because I usually get very sick. And she's like, I'm so happy for you. She was like tearing up with me. She's like, I know this has been a journey for you. I'm like, oh my gosh, stop it. (laughs) I'm like, you're my boss. (laughs) It means a lot to, to hear from someone that they're rooting for you. Right. It really does. Especially someone that like, you're not close with, right? Like it's a professional thing, but they're like, I'm really cheering for you on the sidelines. It's like, I love it. It means so much. 
but well, and, and when the response is often things that are not so kind <laughs> when we share about fertility treatments a lot of people you know ask why or what's wrong with you or <laughs> intensive exactly. things like that whereas like everyone I've shared with in you know supervisor role they don't ask questions they're like let me know how I can help and a lot of the time because I have to be absent I have to write a lot of lesson plans it's so much more work for me to be away than to go to school and our biggest struggle is finding supply teachers right now we're having a really difficult time and the amount of times I felt guilty about being absent and nobody filled my job and then all of my colleagues have to fill in my classes and lose their prep time I had a lot of guilt and that was a huge reason why I went on a leave too I'm like my absences is affecting other people I can't do this like my anxiety just skyrocketed I was like I'm inconveniencing other people I need to go on a leave and that's where I think it's really important to find a balance between you know how much you share at work. Like I find it very helpful to let my coworkers know that I'm on meds that are messing with my hormones because I'm grouchy and they're with me 40 hours a week. <laughs> no, like I have a good friend on my staff team that I went to teacher's college with and she checks in with me. Like when we have lunch together, she's like, so I saw your video last night, like oh. you're any DPO. She's like, okay, what's the lingo again? Like her asking those kind of questions because she's so new to watching these kind of TTC videos. I'm like, it means a lot that you care and you're trying, mm-hmm. right? She's like, what's it called? Letrozole? I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, especially when like, this is something that a lot of people get really uncomfortable about when you tell them that you're trying to have a baby, you know, they just think it's a lot of sex and they don't really understand <laughs> that there's more to it than that. And they're like, why are you sharing that with me? <laughs> And you're like, no, like a colleague of mine. I'm like, yeah, like I'm struggling. She's like, oh, both my kids are IVF babies. We should chat. I'm like, I didn't know. <laughs> I have a coworker whose uh, daughter has been through it. And so I love hearing her perspective, you know, from a family member who knows a loved one going through fertility treatment. Yes. It's just comforting to know that again, we're not alone because so many of us sit alone in our bedrooms and have no one to talk to about it. And yeah, when you share online, it's very lonely and isolating. It is because I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm the token infertile one in my family, at my school, um, in my friend group. Like, really no one in my circles other than the community that I have found have had these struggles so I feel like I'm the one teaching to so many people you know my parents my siblings my aunts and uncles my cousins like all of them they're like yeah no one ever had issues I'm like well I do (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you all about all the issues you can have how much time do you have like and, and it's so nice that when you say to someone like, yeah, I'm going through this and they're like, oh, I actually know someone who's been through that. And oh my goodness, I am here to support you. Like no questions. 
Well, that's the thing. When you connect with someone that understands my first assumption is, oh, they're going to be nice to me about it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's that it's like, all, like all of a sudden it's not going to be inappropriate questions and asking <laughs> ridiculous things. Like yeah, I kind of let a guard down a little bit, kind of put my defense down. It's like, well, until they come out with the, oh, just, just relax and try a little bit of IVF that worked for me. Oh yeah. I had someone recently say, oh yeah, I struggled too. I'm like, oh really? And they're like, yeah. And then we went on vacation. I'm like, oh yeah, I got so hopeful there. (laughs) We're going to be like, yeah, I get it. I'm like, uh, not really. Oh, that's, that's the thing. I mean, good for you. I'm so glad that it, that it works out for people, but when you think someone's going to understand where you're coming from and then they switch at the last minute and you realize, oh, they don't really get it. It's a little heartbreaking. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, oh, now I have to be on eggshells a little bit. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, I, you struggled. I don't know for how long, but our, our stories are just different, just different struggles. Exactly. It's just, you think it's going to be the same and then it's not the same. And so it's very comforting when you do find someone whose story you resonate with. And that's why I really wanted to share my journey because I kind of felt like, my experience with PCOS is very different than your experience with PCOS. And so, you know, if I can put my story out there too, there's going to be someone that maybe doesn't connect with me, but they connect with you or vice versa or the next person. Yeah, absolutely. And it really does become, it's more than my community or your community. That's when it really becomes an actual village is when we can say, you know what, I don't know what it's like to go through that, but this person does. And then they can connect and they can figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Like I can't speak on, you know, IUI or IVF because I haven't experienced those things, mm-hmm. but there are other things that I can, or other people that I know who have been through it that I can be like, Hey, go check out their page, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, we should just be like an encyclopedia of you know, <laughs> people to refer to <laughs> be like, Oh, what diagnosis? Yeah. Go to this, this person's page. <laughs> we basically are. <laughs> and TikTok is almost like a search engine now. And there are many times where I'll take questions to my doctor that I never would have known to ask. Mm-hmm. if someone else hadn't suggested I ask about it. And it doesn't mean I'm taking my advice from strangers on the internet, but to be able to take a list of questions into my doctor and say, hey, what about this, that, and the other thing and actually get somewhere means a lot. Well, absolutely. Like, you know, not every clinic is the same and has the same access to, you know, information, research, et cetera. Um, and I don't know, like I've switched clinics and I feel like some doctors are more open to conversation than others. And you just need to find the right fit and then to, you know, be comfortable with asking those questions. Are there a lot of fertility clinics and doctors in your area? Um, I have one in town. Okay. And that's not the one that I was referred to by my family doctor because mm-hmm. it's a satellite clinic to another one. Oh, yeah. um, and it just, it wasn't recommended for my diagnosis. They're more IUI. Oh yeah. And I was like, okay. So then they sent me to the next closest, which was about 45 minutes away. Okay. And cause I'm North of the GTA so I'm about over an hour from Toronto. Yeah. 
and you know the closer you get like the closer south I get there's a lot more clinics but probably within like a two-hour radius there are probably a dozen very interesting I do not have that experience at all there's maybe four clinics in the whole province that's wild and the closest one to me is three hours away and there, it, there's not one in my city at all. Wow. There's actually only one OBGYN in my city right now. And the wait list is three years to get in with him. <laughs> How are people <laughs> able to have babies? They just send them to the emergency room where people drive to other cities. It's like the Hunger Games for doctors out here right now. So we're actually paying to work with a satellite clinic or yeah. well, <clears throat> the clinic I- itself is actually located in Vancouver, but they do things remotely. Yeah. But there's a huge price tag that comes with that. And I know in Ontario, there is some provincial coverage that helps out a little bit. And yeah, it depends on the treatment and what you're doing. Um, There are funded cycles. Everybody gets one funded IVF cycle, Um, but there is a wait list and each clinic has their own wait list. So you can't just go on this master list and then they tell you where to go. It's each clinic and you can only be on one at a time. And well, not everyone needs IVF either, so. No. And <laughs> like, thanks, but. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like, what about funded IUI? And there are funded IUIs and you get one um, or, no, 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 that's, that's incorrect. It's IUI, the procedure itself is covered. However, um, all the medications and the sperm washing mm-hmm. is not included. Uh. So you have to pay essentially about a thousand dollars for every IUI cycle. Yeah. Well, medications, the huge cost for us out here in Alberta, um, for example, something like Gonal F for one cycle starts at a thousand dollars and is on average about 4,000 per cycle. That's insane. Like my Gonal F pen that I just used so it was the biggest size. It was nine hundred, mm-hmm. and it was just over a thousand dollars. Yeah, it, it's wild. Like I've I've gotten quotes from so many different pharmacies, and they are all very similar in Alberta. And it's like, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I wish I just needed Gonal F, right? Like, you know, my five milligrams of Gonal F, or sorry, for letrozole for five days is only thirty six dollars. Yeah. I'm like, imagine only having to pay $36 for medication. <laughs> My lecture results covered because it's considered a breast cancer treatment. It's not considered yeah. a fertility drug. So I, my work insurance covers my letrozole, but they won't cover anything else. And I'm like, it's all for the same reason. <laughs> exactly. So my letrozole is covered by my health insurance, but my fertility meds, they cover up to $5,000 in your lifetime. Wow. So, so far we've paid very little out of pocket because they don't pay a hundred percent. They're like, oh, you're going to left us a thousand. We actually paid for 950 of it. Oh I'm yeah. Like, like on their lower fee guide. I'm like better than nothing. I'll take it. <laughs> I will take it. Um, so I, if this cycle is not successful, we'll probably be out of money um, next cycle for any of my coverage. So the rest will be out of pocket moving forward 
I just find it so unfair that people are choosing their medical treatment plan based off of money and what they can afford. Like I've been trying to get pregnant for two and a half years because the next option is $4,000 a month. (laughs) So to go from zero to 4,000 is just so, so hard. And I, I don't know if you saw my video um, a few months ago where I explained why I'm choosing not to go ahead with I, uh, with IVF. And I don't, I hate that I had to explain it and to justify my reason, but people get really angry that it's like, you know what, if I don't want to do IVF, I don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. And like yeah it costs a lot of money and that's a huge reason why I want don't want to do it and they're like oh we'll just go work at Starbucks I'm like it's not like that here in Canada no and it's not that simple (laughs) because you've still got to pay monthly premiums and you've still got to take those hours out of your life and a lot of us are already working more than one job and we have families and yeah and they're just like well if it was that important you would make it work And I've seen those comments before and I'm just like, you know what, but everyone has their limits and just respect it. Mm-hmm. And, the, and you know, my husband and I sat down and we we're like, okay, what are our limits? Like, when are we going to call it quits? Yeah. Because we just want to enjoy the rest of our life. Yeah. And I commend those that say like, we're just, we're never going to stop and we're going to keep trying. Like, that's wonderful for you. I personally can't do it. And I mean, as long as there's not a 0% chance of getting pregnant, who really stops trying? Because that's what, never having sex again? Well, exactly. And it's like, well, yeah. It doesn't have to be a, a black or white, yes or no, trying or not trying. No, it would be like, okay, yeah, like we're done actively going through treatment. Cool. Yeah. Let's stop treatment. Let's stop paying for this. Let's stop, you know, injecting medication and just live our lives. And if something happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, you know, everyone has, I feel like everyone has their breaking point, but Mm -hmm. it just, I don't know why it irks me that some creators are like, we'll just keep trying. We'll never stop. And I'm like, well, I don't think that's true when you are actively going through IVF (laughs) yeah yeah and I don't know know. and trying looks different to everybody I mean people criticize me and say I'm not trying hard enough because we won't do IUI or IVF but there's lots of reasons why we don't want to it's not just as simple as like oh someone accused me of saying I'm too good for IVF and it, it honestly made me laugh because I'm like, I come from a place where I feel like I'm not good enough to handle that. It's so much. It's so much in your life. And for those that it's not that heavy and it's a simpler process, I am so happy for you. But for the majority of people going through IVF is a massive lifestyle change because if I'm paying $30,000 for one attempt you can bet your sweet ass I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that's going to be successful. Absolutely. And that's not as simple as, oh, just try IVF. Um, My nearest clinic is three hours away. So I'm not driving six hours round trip every other day for ultrasounds and blood work. 
doing injections in the bathroom at work when I have extreme medical trauma and you know like people just don't they're not as sensitive to those things they see them as excuses and not valid reasons well that's it and I hate that we have to justify it being like yeah my anxiety and depression and my I, I will call it PTSD mm-hmm. from, you know, Absolutely. losses and this whole journey is traumatic. And if I don't want to do it, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to go through an egg retrieval. I don't want to. And that should be enough. Right? And people, people are like, but why? If it's that important to you being like, but you know what? It's just, it's my body. Mm-hmm. And I'm allowed to say no, it's enough. And, I, it's, I it. and it's your family too. I mean, I, I spent years not wanting children. And now for the last several years, I've wanted a baby more than anything, but I might reach a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm happy with our family the way it is. And I get to make that decision. And people think because we put so much out there that they're entitled to, sway our choices when they don't like them exactly it could be like well the clinic you're going to that's stupid there's I'm sure there's a closer clinic and you're gonna be like well actually there's not I promise you (laughs) and why does there always have to be a reason why can't people just say great thanks for sharing (laughs) exactly right and I don't know the more the more we share the more I feel like you know people have their opinions and I don't know. It's, it, I'm getting better at blocking it out. <laughs> yeah. How do you find balance between, you know, keeping things private and still wanting to share for the value that it offers? I, I don't know. It's really challenging. I was actually talking to my husband on our drive home from our Halloween party we were just at, um, talking about like, how we're going to be sharing moving forward for the rest of this cycle. Cause I'm now at the point where my trigger shot is gone. I have negative tests and we're waiting for a line to come back. Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, okay, so if it comes back, who are we telling and when, and what are you putting on TikTok when? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, I found the last box that I had where I was on a delay, it hurt more because it was a loss and I was reliving it with my posts. I'm like, I don't want to go through that again. And I, I feel like I'm just at the point now where I'm like, I want to share what I want to share. This is my journey. I can change my mind as I go. Um, I'm just really trying to keep others out of it now yeah because I do I did get a lot of pushback from people being like oh well you're crying about my pregnancy announcement on TikTok and being like but you know what it's my life Mm -hmm. and they're like well I don't appreciate it I'm like well I don't appreciate my infertility like what do you want (laughs) (laughs) my goodness like what do you want from me but to like not be human and have emotions yeah. And they're just like, I don't care if you feel that way, just don't put it on TikTok. And see, that is exactly what we're fighting to break. Yep. Is that, that thought that you can be sad, but as long as you don't tell anyone about it or show yep, yep. it. 
you have to be sad in private. You can't be sad online because I know it's about me. And this woman actually didn't invite me to her baby shower because I posted me sad that she, her pregnancy announcement at her Christmas party last year, she announced to everyone. And I, all I, I don't know if you saw this video of me in the bathroom being like, I'm pulling my shit back together. I'm going to go back out there. You know, one day it's going to be me. It was not a, I hate her and I hate pregnant women. And I'm just like, you know what? It's really hard to hear pregnancy announcements in person. And, you know, on the anniversary of one year of TTC on top of it, it was just a rough day. And she's like, how dare you? And didn't invite me to her baby shower saying it was best for everyone involved that I wasn't there. That's hurtful. It really was. But a lot of people are like, well, I see her point though, because you were sad about her pregnancy announcement. And, you know, being sad for yourself in a moment is separate than being mad about her entire pregnancy like that if she's going to internalize that like you can't help that no and I'm just like why is it okay that this type of grief is very much you need to be private you don't be sad at my events don't come to my baby shower don't you know hold my baby um but we don't say that to like widows Mm -hmm. at weddings We don't say that to, you know, people going through separations at weddings or like, you know, any other kind of like celebration and some, someone's going through something, right? Yeah. I mean, to not know this pain is such a privilege. Yeah. And to not take a moment to try and understand it is also a huge privilege. It is. To be able to just, you know, say, well, I'm pregnant. See you later that's something that some people will just never understand what it feels like to not be able to it's a huge reason why I just stopped sharing any time that like I had those horrible moments because that's when I got the most pushback of like me being upset about any pregnancy announcements or births um I really stopped showing my like real life reaction and I thought that those were the most like raw why I wanted to share my journey and like going through loss and stuff But for my own mental health, I had to protect myself because the pushback I was getting, I couldn't handle it. Well, and it doesn't help that there are now dedicated spaces like on Reddit to criticize the content we share. Because I now every time I post a video, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, oh, Reddit's going to have a field day with this one. Yeah. And so now we've gone from not wanting to share and wanting to protect our hearts and mourn in private to still posting but still letting those things be influenced by other people's opinions and it's really hard to find a balance between staying true to ourselves and remembering that there are people out there that see what we're offering and see the value in it and feel seen and feel heard but it's hard when those voices get in your head because then you start to think well am I selfish? Am I not doing enough? Am I doing too much? Like the amount of times I rewatched that video to try to find like, what did I really do wrong? Like, let me sit with it, really analyze it, trying to look at it from an outsider perspective. I'm like, did I really hurt this woman by making this video? I'm like, 
no I didn't say her name she like people don't know who she is yeah like all I said is that I was sad I was in the bathroom crying I pulled my shit back together and I went back out there and nobody knew anything was wrong like and to be able to show that kind of strength should be celebrated like honestly the amount of people that did reach out though and say like holy crap I've done this before yeah like Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> like yes, I see you. <laughs> but so many people are like, "You, you're not happy for her. Like, you're selfish. You're awful. Like, be people grateful for, for the that you have. Like, et cetera, et cetera." People forget that two things can exist at once. You can be happy yes. for her and sad for you. Yes, absolutely. Like, I mean, like, has no one opened up a gift on Christmas and felt a little disappointed, but also felt grateful to receive something? period yeah and I think the worst comment is that people say like oh you don't know if they've also struggled Mm -hmm. I'm like yeah I don't but it doesn't make my grief less than yeah right it doesn't make my feelings less important because they've also struggled and again it comes back to people just not wanting to see you upset but for their own selfish reasons like it's not that oh my gosh I'm so sorry that you're feeling sad about this like can I do something to lift your spirits it's oh my gosh you're feeling sad about this and that makes me uncomfortable I need you to hide that yeah <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to see that and I don't want that at my baby shower because you're the sad and fertile person sitting over there and you're gonna bring down all the joy yeah. like and it's I'm definitely like- possible for you know someone to say hey like I saw your video and I, I'm so sorry I didn't realize that you'd be so upset I mean it hurt me to think that I was making you sad but like can I check in and see if we're okay like yeah I know and this this person I don't I don't want to go into like all the conversations no, exactly. you know, her and I had but she was very much like no I didn't say anything I did not invite you to my baby shower. I'm like, then where's my invitation? (laughs) Like she was very much just trying to pretend that she was very, she didn't want any confrontation. That's what it was. It was very uncomfortable. It just comes back to the fact that people treat infertile people differently. They just do. And it's going to take decades to change it. I know. And that's why, like, it's so important that we have, like, it's October. It's a pregnancy and infant loss awareness month. And we need to, like, lift people up instead of shoving them back into, you know, rooms alone and not able to talk about it. Like, I shouldn't have to go in a bathroom and cry. Like, (laughs) I just, but... I don't know. It's, I don't know what it's going to take to, you know, have people understand more and be empathetic. How do we teach empathy? I think by what you're doing already, which is sharing your real reactions to things, even when there's pushback. And I know it's hard. <laughs> I you're know so it's hard. Brave. The amount of pushback you get, like, I don't know how <laughs> you keep posting. I, I feel like I'm way too fragile. <laughs> I post for the people that message me and say, you get me, or I've been there, or I am there, or I'm worried I'll be there one day. The amount of people that message me and say, I have PCOS and I'm worried I'll never get pregnant. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm your role model. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish I could get pregnant and give you hope. 
exactly right like i want to show you it's possible (laughs) i think at the end of the day the bravery and the strength that it takes to shine a light on the dark side of infertility is gonna have so much value and it's it is a really brave thing to share because it's you know it's very intimate details of your personal life and medical treatment is something that's really hard to talk about like when you hear someone's diagnosed with diabetes or cancer you know you hear that they're in treatment but I personally I don't I don't know what all those details are unless you know someone that's gone through it and I think if we can keep digging deep and finding that strength and that bravery I think we can teach people empathy through you know, these conversations and being able to say to them, like, look, like what you said hurt me. But if you had reached out and asked if there was anything, you know, we could talk about to make me feel better about it, that could have saved our friendship. Right. And, you know, I want things to be teaching moments, but at the same time, I'm like, I can't do this all by myself. Mm -mm. Like I need other people to, you know, help carry the load. And that's what this whole community is doing it's not just me it's a bunch of us and I feel like sometimes it happens in the little moments like if you're hanging out with your mom or your sister and they make a comment about your infertility and you're like oh you know like actually I would say it this way mom now the next time she's talking to someone and they bring up their infertility she might say the right thing and make that person feel heard and seen and I think that's where the value is, is in those Action. moments. Yeah, for real. Like, it's funny. Like, you mentioned, like, mom or sister. Because my mom, she's like, you know, no one's ever been through this. I've never been through this, like, in our family and, you know, friends. And she's like, I mentioned it to a coworker that you're going through this. And she's like, yeah, like, I actually went through this and blah, blah, blah. And she shared her journey that she's known this woman for years and had no idea And she's like, I can't believe I'm connecting with people over your infertility. (laughs) And I'm like, that's what it's all about. (laughs) That's beautiful. I love it. It's bringing people together. Right? It can come from all of this. Yes. (laughs) And the friendships and the positivity in the community. Like, I can't believe I actually connected with someone over TikTok in infertility world like they're not a creator but they were just like a follower supporter etc and we actually met in real life and like text all the time like I can't believe (laughs) that that actually happened and that these are women that I talk to all the time because they just get it and I love it I love it too. I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful that I found you. I absolutely love following your page. And I appreciate you coming on here and being so open and so honest with me about everything that you've been through. You are so brave and so strong. Thank you. I think the same things of you. I've been following you since what probably two years now yeah <laughs> beginning years. I think we're like oh, yeah. it's been such an honor to have you on here Jess um can you tell everyone where they can find you uh yeah so on TikTok my username is secondary infertility mama and it's the same username just with an underscore in front of it on Instagram 
Perfect. I'll put those in the show notes for everybody as well. And I just want to thank you again, Jess, for coming on here and sharing your story. I know that it helps so many people to hear about what you've been through. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you very soon. Yes. (laughs) 